live from Springfield, Ohio, it's Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick James. I am Rick Lee James, and you're listening to Voices in My Head. Alright everybody, welcome back to Voices in My Head, episode number 42. Sorry about that. Alright everybody, I've been watching uh, episodes of The Good Guys on my free Netflix trial, and it seems like every episode starts with the Loxley's song, uh, Slink, parentheses, a hymn, is, is what it's called. It's actually not a hymn, so I don't know why it's called that, but uh, they start the episode every week with, uh, alright everybody, so... All right, everybody, let's get on with the episode. Sorry, I sound like an absolute idiot today, but I'm so excited about episode number 42 just because of the amazing guest that I have today. That's right, my guest today is none other than, well, maybe he's not so amazing. It's just me. Sorry, guys. Uh, I'm actually going to be sharing a message that I spoke just a couple weeks ago in, uh, in Indiana at a church. I was invited to speak for a homecoming service, and I'll tell you more about that in a few minutes. Got some things to get out of the way beforehand, um, but I hope you'll enjoy it. It's uh, I am the voice in my head this week, so it's, it's interesting. Um, I missed having a, a conversational dialogue this week, and yet it was a, kind of a difficult message for me to bring because um, I felt like it was um, some words that that I needed to hear in the prep of my sermon and, and getting ready for it. So uh, I'm happy to be able to share it with you today. I definitely welcome your feedback and your comments on that. And uh, since we're talking about feedback, we actually have a little bit of feedback from last week's show. So let's go to that right now. Wow. Feedback. Well, it was a really great episode. Actually, it was two great episodes uh, with Ben DeBono last week, and I I really feel like uh, we we had a great conversation together. I enjoyed so much uh, getting to hear my friend Ben DeBono and uh, just hearing about not only his um, his leading in his life that God led him to the Catholic Church after being a, a Baptist minister for a few years and, and his education and just really following the call of God. But it was also great to talk about some misconceptions. And I've been getting emails uh, from people and text messages and, uh, you know, Twitter messages. I, I think we got some Twitter messages, uh, voices in my head, P, if you want to follow us on Twitter, um, that were actually asking even more questions about Catholicism and things that I'm not um, equipped myself probably to answer. I could do some research, but I almost feel like I could have been on for another show and talk about more. I, I don't even think we touched on like um, baptism, and I, I really, having his perspective as both a Baptist and um, a now Catholic, it'd be interesting um, to hear his thoughts on baptism. But we, we did have some great feedback this week, and I just want to share one in particular comment that was posted on uh, on Facebook uh, by Susan Jenkins, and uh, Susan is a, a really sweet lady who I actually haven't seen in years, and um, she's been listening to the show, and uh, I thank you very much for listening, Susan. I appreciate that, and I appreciate your kind words so much. She had this to say. She said, thank you, Rick Lee James, for sharing this podcast, the conversation, uh, sorry, the conversion story, I can't read, the conversion story of Ben DeBono. Both episodes are wonderful. Sitting down and talking, listening is the key 
to bringing unity in God's church. I pray that some of my Facebook friends will take the time to listen to both of these podcasts and understand that God is moving. He's calling some of us former Protestant ministers into the Catholic Church. For what reason, I'm not sure, but I am so thankful that he called me. And she actually followed that up with a uh, kind of a, I guess, an addition to that comment on her page. And uh, said, part two of the conversion story of Ben DeBono. Uh, For those who are interested, here are a couple of books that made a difference in my life. And I wanted to share those because uh, Susan is a, you know, former Protestant, former Nazarene minister uh, that actually is now working in the Catholic Church and ministering there. So um, she wanted to share some books if anybody had any interest. Um, The one book is called Rome Sweet Home by Scott Hahn. That's H-A-H. H-N, Scott Hahn, Rome Sweet Rome. Uh, she also recommends Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist by Bryant Petre. I think it's Petre. It's P-I-T-R-E. And I'm sorry, it's not Bryant, it's Brant. I really can't read today, folks. Sorry. I didn't sleep much last night. Um, Brant Petre, B-R-A-N-T, last name P-I-T-R-E. And then there was uh, a book she recommended called Surprised by Truth by Patrick Madrid, M-A-D-R-E-D, My Life on the Rock by Jeff Cavins. And um, and she says, and my all-time favorite written by my friend Leona Choi, My Journey to the Land of Moore. And she says, thanks again, Rick Lee James, for sharing. And Susan, I want to say thank you for sharing. Thank you for the feedback. I, I always appreciate it, and I, I'm so glad it was helpful to you. Um, I've had a lot of uh, questions this week from listeners. I've had a lot of great comments. Um, I've even been told I haven't really gone to the podcast awards page yet, but um, I've been told by several people that they've nominated the podcast for a podcast award this year. And I know that they're tallying all the nominations right now over at the thepodcastawards.com. Um, but thank you. That That is a bit of positive feedback, I feel like, when people nominate. And um, I really appreciate it. It takes a lot of time and hard work uh, to put this podcast in. And thank you. We've, we've gotten a few more donations also this week. And so I want to thank you guys for that. Just little by little, if we can uh, if we can gain, I, I think I've broken it down to something like $11 an episode if I do an episode every week of the year. Um, that's roughly what it costs with uh, having to pay for websites, with having to pay for uh, podcast bandwidth and places to store it all online. Um, you know, 52... Uh, weeks a year, 52 podcasts a year. Um, if we can er- raise like $11 per podcast, that would be awesome. And I wouldn't have to give money out of my pocket um, that I could uh, actually continue this and keep it free for you guys. So um, thank you, all of you who have been donating. We are not even close for next year's donation yet, but I just wanted to say thank you for that. Um, Well, enough about all that. If you're enjoying the show, like I said, go to podcastawards.com or leave us some feedback on iTunes. I I always love to know what you're thinking or leave um, some feedback on Twitter at Voices in My Head P. There's also the Facebook page. You guys know it's it's all out there. Just look up my name, Rick Lee James, or Voices in My Head podcast. Um, What other news must I share today? Oh, the live DVD is coming along. Um, I, I know I keep saying that every week. I've I've gotten to hear it. We're actually looking for a good mastering house right now. It's in the it's ready to be mastered, which means the mixing process 
to the best of my knowledge, is finished. Um, they're working on syncing the video up to match the audio, and when we have the final mastered audio, we can send that over to be linked to the video. Uh, so I'm real excited. I don't know when we're going to get to release that. It may not be until the beginning of next year, but I'm very excited about it nonetheless. Um, well, what to talk about next before we get into uh, today's fantastic guest, me, you know, I, I'm kidding, I'm not that fantastic, you guys know that, but, um, I, you know, we just had a presidential debate this week, and I just wanted to share a thought about that, I actually posted a blog about this, but um, this time of year, I, you know, Brian Zahn said it best, I think, that every four years our country falls into madness, uh, or he said something like that. I may not be quoting him uh, exactly right, uh, but it's true. I think we just fall into this craziness every four years, and lest we think that God is is on our side in this, um, I, I think Scripture helps us to take a different view of that. And and what I mean by that, I know it says in Scripture, if God is on our side, you know, we even sing songs, if God's on our side, who can stand against us? But the fact is, God is not just on our side by default. And as a matter of fact, we are to be on God's side. And um, God never backs a candidate or a nation or anything like that. So I, I posted a post-debate thought after the lively debate the other night, which, by the way, I know I'm a pacifist and all, but how cool would it have been if in that one tense moment, um, you know, when Romney and Obama were like in each other's faces, if one of them threw a punch and they just ended up having a, like a brawl on the floor. As far as, you know, image for um, our perception as Americans around the world would be terrible for that. But as far as entertainment for watching a presidential debate, awesome. Uh, anyway, moving on, post-debate thought. Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15 came to mind uh, because it reminds us that God does not back any candidate. God does not back any nation. So don't panic. Settle down, people. That's all I'm saying. If you're a believer, it's time to have faith in something bigger than the United States of America. Um, it's time to have something bigger in mind. And this scripture is, is such a great reminder for us. Now remember, Joshua in this passage was the leader of the people of Israel. And so you know, God's chosen people, you know, and, and that's, that's who, you know, we often say, but look at this, even in, you know, if any nation has a claim to say they're the chosen people of God, <laughs> it's Israel. And here's how the passage reads. Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? He said, No. Rather, I indeed come now as captain of the Lord, of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down, and he said to him, What is my Lord to say to his servant? The captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. I think about that, and I think, you know, even Israel really, uh, it, it, when we see the beginning of Scripture, you know, that they're God's chosen people, and, and by the way, it's not that they were chosen, meaning that in some ways they're more blessed or more special than any other people on the face of the planet, except maybe in one regard. God chose them to be the first to carry his message of peace and grace to the world, 
and his message of love and hope. And um, unfortunately, they didn't always do that. And it's now on all of us. No nation is more privileged than another in the eyes of God. And I think of that passage where Joshua leading the people of Israel at this point in its history, getting ready to go to battle, and Joshua is consulting this man, it says, or angel who represents the Lord of hosts, asking whose side is God on in this? And God's basically saying, I'm not on either of your side. Fall down before me. Worship me. And that, as Christians, should be our attitude in all of this campaigning madness, in all this election. Um, None of this has a bearing on the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is much richer and it defines categories put on us by the USA or by Europe or by Iran or Iraq or Afghanistan or any other place. Um, Those are not the real power in the world. And um, anyway, just a little post-debate thought for today. Who do we really worship? Uh, Who really is our God? I think we can see it during this time of year because I can tell by all the panic. We can tell by how insecure we are about our stances, how involved we get with our own selfish rights and things that we have entitlement. Um, You know, you have people on both sides saying crazy, crazy things uh, that have no logic. And yet, simply because, well, they're my party, um, we're going to back them. Well, I just say as Christians, I don't, I don't buy it. As, as this Christian doesn't buy it. I don't play that game. I'm not going to play that game, and I hope you won't either, because the kingdom of God has so much more in store than what any earthly government will ever give us. All right, enough of that. The real sermon is to come. Uh, wanted to remind you that I'm planning on a a live podcast to commemorate the 50th episode of the show. I'm going to try it on December 14th at 9 o'clock p.m. over Skype. More details are coming, but please email me and let me know if you're interested in this. Uh, rljames29 at yahoo.com. I need to get a list of people together. If we don't have uh, people interested in doing a live call-in show, uh, just to talk about voices in my head, favorite episodes, whatever's on your mind, um, then we won't do it. But if we have people interested enough to do it, let me know. Uh, I'd love to celebrate the 50th episode in a big way on December 14th of this year. Uh, Also, just before we get into uh, the message today, Um, New Year's Eve tickets. Every year I have a New Year's Eve concert. Actually, last year it wasn't on New Year's Eve. It was a month or so prior, a month and a half prior, because New Year's Eve fell uh, right around the time when we would be having Sunday worship, so it was made it very hard. But this is my third annual um, concert in that vein, Rickley James and Friends concert, and it's going to be happening at New Year's Eve. It's going to be here in Springfield, Ohio. It's going to be at New Hope Church. We have tickets available online at my website at rickleyjames.com. We have tickets available at the Beacon of Hope stores. Uh, Also, Beacon of Hope carries my music now, so if you go in, if you live local to Springfield or can go to their website, you can get my music now through Beacon of Hope. Uh, It's a great uh, Christian bookstore and uh, really appreciate them. They have some awesome coffee. So if you want to make plans to be with us, bring your family for New Year's Eve. We've got the Rick Lee James Band. We've got Like a Child, which you've heard on past podcast episode here. And we've also got the Italics featuring Brandon Hancock, who also has been a guest on the show here. Brandon and Gloria Hancock make up the Italics. It's going to be a fun night. 
Get this, $5 is all it costs if you buy your tickets in advance. If you wait until the night of, it's $10. It goes up $5 a person. But if you buy them in advance, $5. So make sure you go online to rickleyjames.com if you're not local. If you are local, run into Beacon of Hope stores or even contact me by email, rljames29 at yahoo.com, and I'll be happy to set you up with some tickets. Um, And if you're enjoying this uh, the episodes, uh, make sure and leave us some feedback at 937-505-0162. That's about all that I have to say about that right now. Uh, We're going to go into question of the week, and then we're going to go into um, the message for today. Question of the week. Well, question of the week in honor of Spocktober. Uh, I don't know where I got that exactly. Uh, Somebody the other day mentioned that uh, I think there's some Star Trek site or something like that, that every October they have a big Spocktober celebration. Uh, so for this month, uh, I thought, hey, I'll do a Spocktober question. I like Star Trek, okay? And uh, it's pretty funny. If you listen to uh, the Sci-Fi Christian podcast this past week, Ben DeBono has a few choice words for Star Trek fans because he doesn't get it. And uh, and that's okay. Some of the episodes are pretty awful, I got to say. Um, but some of them are pretty great. And some of the movies are very good. Um Start with Star Trek 2. That's all I can say if you're going to start with a movie. But the question of the week for this week is, uh, if you had, uh, if you could have one of uh, Spock's abilities, what would it be? I, I hope I worded that right. I can't remember the exact question. I have the answers right in front of me. But question of the week for this week was about Spock's abilities. And um, we, we did have a lot of answers this week. Kyle Northrop answered that he would like to have the Vulcan nerve pinch. And, uh, I, you know, that would be handy in a, in a situation, you know. And uh, it's it seems to be something that's non-lethal that you could, you know, take out an aggressor quietly and quickly. Uh, Randy Lee James, uh, good to see Dad writing in today, said, I think I would just like to have Spock's ability to always keep track of time. He never needed a watch. Good one, Dad. Uh, that's very good. And he's my dad's a very punctual guy. He's the kind of guy, if you're not, you know, 20 minutes early, you're late type thing, I think. Uh, and I have a little bit of that in me. It's a James thing. Um, and Kyle Northrup uh, added a follow-up comment, said, Yeah, I think time telling time would be awesome, but his memory for names and dates would be insanely useful. I have to agree with that one as well, as someone who lacks in that department. Matthew Cole, he says, Definitely the mind meld. It's a win-win. One can read minds and make people make really odd facial expressions all at the same time. <laughs> so, yeah, hey, what a, what a great ability to be able to do that mind meld. Brandon Hancock answered the cool eyebrows. I mean, how could you not uh, want the cool eyebrows of Spock? Uh, Very good. Tony James says the Vulcan nerve pinch. Not sure when I'd use it, but it would be good uh, to know I could. And uh, I, my answer to that, Tony, is you could use it to put yourself to sleep at night. Just use the nerve pinch on yourself. Um, and Tony says that would save on the purchase of sleeping pills, she supposes. And David Sanders wrote in, said, Well, I already have the eyebrow thing and the superior logic, so I guess I'd opt for his ability to successfully woo Zoe Saldana. Who wouldn't want a smoking hot xenolinguist to travel the stars with? So thanks, Dave, for writing in, and I uh, appreciate all those answers. Um, next week, we're going to actually uh, hopefully be broadcasting this podcast, uh, or recording it anyway, at Cedarville University nearby here, and I'm going to be talking to one of the heads of the Worship Arts Department. And so a question uh, for next week I thought might be appropriate 
And it might sound a little strange at first, but I think it's a very important question for us to ask, is what is the most important thing missing in Protestant worship services today? And I guess we could extend that to Catholic, too. We may have some Catholic listeners that maybe are finding some things lacking, so maybe I should just say worship. But um, there are things that I believe are missing uh, in our common worship together, and uh, if you want to expand the, the definition of worship, that's fine. But I would love to hear your thoughts. I know a lot of you are worship pastors and pastors and just lay people who have a lot of concern for the topic of worship. So let us know for next week's question of the week. It's not quite as silly of a question as this week's was, but what is the most important thing missing in worship services today? What's the most important thing missing? Realizing we have a long, over 2,000 years of heritage, uh, and there's got to be some things that we're leaving out. I can think of one glaring thing um, in my church that's missing um, very starkly, but uh, I don't want to talk about that till next week. So, uh, and it's again not a slam uh, as we talk about that. It's just a, an effort as we're asking questions. How can we do this better? So uh, that'll be next week's question of the week. Thanks for participating, everybody. Question of the week. Well, hey, I just had one more thing I wanted to get into before I bring you the main part of the show today. I do have some appearances coming up, and if you're in the area, I'd love to see you. I'm going to be uh, doing music and doing quite a bit of speaking in the coming days. So um, on o- October 27th at New Hope Church, actually the same place that the uh, the New Year's concert's going to be this year, uh, I'm going to be leading about 30 minutes or so of worship music at, a, at the Big Bash of Hope, and that's uh, here in Springfield, Ohio. You can go to Rickley James com to find out more about that. On November 4th, I'm going to be playing at Young's Jersey Dairy as part of Samaritan Purse's Operation Christmas Child Drive, and uh, you'll be able to actually be a part of helping a child to have clothes and uh, ha- have a, a great Christmas this year that otherwise wouldn't be able to uh, to do that. So I'm going to tell you more hopefully very soon about the Samaritan's Purse Operation Christmas Child. Friday, November 9th, I'm going to be speaking for the Northwestern Ohio District Teen Fall Retreat. Uh, So I'm really looking forward to that. It's going to be in St. Mary's, Ohio. If you have a teenager that would like to be a part of that, um, you can get more information by going to my website or calling 419-394-4517 and getting more information on that. Uh, I love speaking to teens and the whole retreat. We're going to be talking about prayer and hopefully doing some praying as well. And then December 31st is the New Hope Church. Once again, the Rick Lee James and Friends New Year's Eve Bash. $5 in advance. Make sure you get your tickets. Much more to come in the coming days, but those are just some things that are coming up right now I wanted to let you know about. Now, before I go into uh, and, and playing the message that I brought just a couple weeks ago in North Vernon, Indiana, it was a homecoming service, and a lot of churches don't have homecoming services anymore, so it was kind of neat to be a part of that. Uh, what homecoming is, is just what it sounds like. Um, it's sort of the same concept that schools will do, uh, universities and things like that, uh, and, and they'll have you know people come back after several years, and you kind of look at each other and Uh, see how much you've aged and things like that. Well, a lot of churches uh, used to do that, and some still do at this point. And so it was kind of neat to be a part of North Vernon Church of the Nazarene Homecoming. Now, please, as you listen to the message, um, I'm not beating up on the Nazarene Church. It may sound like it, uh, but what I want you to know about this message, um, in order for any uh, anybody who ever dares to preach the Word of God, 
and to go in and and who does exegesis and prays thoughtfully uh, over the material. Um, if you do it right, um, the message has to speak to you first, and it actually has to search you out first as the speaker. Um, prophets in Scripture are never exempt from their own message, and so um, the words that I bring, uh, I'm not exempt from. It was a hard message for me. I have to be honest with you. Um, it took me several weeks, and it doesn't usually take me that long when I'm formulating a message, um, but I just kept being pulled back um, to this same story of the narrative that we usually call the prodigal son, but I give it a little bit different of a title than that, because I think the title should be different, because I don't know that the son who went away and lived all wild is the main focus of that story, and you're going to hear more about that in the message. Um, I just wanted to make that clear in advance. When somebody hears it, um, I, I do make some pretty, uh, I, I think, glaring comparisons to the Church of the Nazarene, which I'm a part of, comparing it to the Pharisees of Jesus' day, and I only do that because I think we need to look um, seriously and truthfully at ourselves. And you could apply this to any denomination. It just happened to be that I am a part of the Nazarene Church, and I was speaking at a Nazarene Church when I presented this message. But, you know, fill in the blank, because uh, any time that we are doing the same thing that the Pharisees were guilty of doing and the things that Jesus is actually speaking to us about, um, it doesn't matter what denomination we are a part of. Uh, we are called to repent and to change our actions in many ways. So I'm looking forward to, to feedback, and I'd love to hear what you think about this message. Um, please feel free to give us a call at 937-505-0162 or just leave a message on any of our website pages. Um, I'd love to get some dialogue going, and I don't say these things just to be controversial or anything. Um, but I think some of the statements were, I actually heard a few audible gasps from people in the audience at a few things I said, and, and that's okay. Um, I, I still feel like um, the things I said were being as truthful as I could uh, to the message that was coming from the word I was preaching. So here we go. Here's one of uh, a message that I spoke, I believe it was the 7th of October, just earlier this month in North Vernon, Indiana, at the Church of the Nazarene there for their homecoming service. It was a great time. I uh, enjoyed doing a concert for them in the afternoon, which you don't get to hear on this, but uh, you do get to hear my sermon. So here he is, myself, Rick Lee James, Voices in My Head, episode 42. I hope you enjoy. Well, thank you. It's, uh, it's good to be with you here in North Vernon today for homecoming. And, um, you know, homecoming is, uh, is a special time, but for me, homecoming is not so much about the place as the people you go to, because um, how many of you were like me and moved around a lot? Anybody in here? Yeah, some of you did. So we grew up a lot of different places. Home for me now is Springfield, Ohio. I've lived there, well, next month is going to be 11 years that I've lived in Springfield, Ohio. And uh, for me, homecoming is partially tonight when I go home to my wife and, uh, and our soon-to-be-born so, soon son, Alex. And homecoming, uh, I'm looking forward to that. Homecoming for us, it can often mean schools, whenever schools come together and, and they'll do these homecoming times and you go and what was the reunion you just went to? How many years? 40 years of high school and the people, nobody looked the same. You know, it was, it was all different when they got home. 
Um, and some of us have experienced homecomings that have, uh, we've, we've seen different things. And, and it's, it's often pleasant, but it's not always pleasant. Um, let, let me give you an example of that. One time, um, you know, we get together a lot, like birthdays, Thanksgivings, Christmas, things like that. And our family has often lived spread par- far apart. Um, but when we can, we try to get together on holidays. And I can remember one year when we were living in Middletown, Indiana, and it was Thanksgiving time. I want to say I was probably about in the fifth grade. And we had all of my mom's side of the family over for Thanksgiving. And it was a good time. Uh, I think we had some basketball playing outside. There was all kinds of food. And people brought not only food and families, but somebody brought with them a stomach virus as well. And uh, by that evening, once everybody had gone, I remember I was the first to, uh, to hug the porcelain, you know, uh, as you do. And then I think my mom was the next to get it, and then my sister, I think, caught it, and then dad, you know, uh, brought up the rear. And, and, uh, and that's not, not supposed to be funny, that part, but that's a wrong choice of words when you're talking about a stomach virus. <laughs> But we were all sick. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) Well, the fact is, nobody wants that to happen. Nobody wants to be that sick. I can't remember another time in my life since that I have been that sick. But that's actually our body's defense. It's our natural defense because there's something in there that's not supposed to be there. And so the body says, to protect you, we need to get this out so we become ill. That's what happens when we get a bad cold. That's what happens anytime that we get these ailments. There is a foreign intruder, and our body has to put us in an uncomfortable position sometimes to make us well again. It's an interesting paradox that sometimes we have to be sick in order to be well. And when we think about the Word of God, and what I'm trying to do today as I bring the Word, is I want to bring truth to us today. And as I preach, I want to tell you this favorite new saying that I just recently heard. It says, if you offend no one when you preach, you're probably not preaching like Jesus. If you offend everyone when you preach, you're probably just a jerk. And uh, my intention today is not to be a jerk. (laughs) I don't want to offend everybody. I don't want to offend anybody. That's not my goal. But as I look at the scripture, and I think about especially what homecoming means when I see the scripture Some of us may get our toes stepped on, not because of what I say, but because of what the Word of God says. And it's interesting that Jesus sometimes has to tell us things that aren't exactly comfortable for us. And we have to go through a few times that are not very pleasant in order to find health, in order to be what God wants us to be. So I want to tell you a story that is very familiar to us. Probably everybody in this room could sit down and tell me this story in a similar way to what I'm going to tell it today. But it's a story that we've told and retold so many times and it's been passed down through so many years. I think the punch that was originally intended has been often lost on us. It's the story of the prodigal son. It's found in Luke chapter 15. But I don't think that's a good title. I know that's the title that often we have in our Bibles for what this narrative is. But the story is not really about the prodigal son. So I'm going to give it a new title today, okay? It's kind of a long title. And and Dad called me earlier this week. He he wanted to find out if I had a sermon title. And I said, it's pretty long. I don't know if you're going to want to print it. 
And in fact, he said, no, I don't think we'll put that in there. So the title is, of this story, it's the slightly prodigal son, the unprodigal son, and the extraordinarily prodigal father. Now, I, in order to tell what this means and why I say that, we have to know what the word prodigal means. Some of us know that word, some of us don't. Often we think it just means a person that went astray. That's actually not what the word means. Prodigal means to be wastefully extravagant, to be extravagantly wasteful, to, be, to give in abundance, to recklessly bestow. And that's what this story is about. And if we look at that, that means the father is the most prodigal one in this story. He is the most reckless in his giving. He's the most reckless in his extravagance. So the story is a parable, and it's aimed at a certain group of people called the Nazarenes. Oh, I'm sorry, the Pharisees. Let me explain why I say the Nazarenes and the Pharisees are so close. The word Pharisee, it means separated one or holy ones. Their heartbeat was holiness. The Pharisees were a reactive holiness movement that set themselves apart to be holy people because they were afraid that the pagan culture around them was going to make them lose their moral and religious identity as the chosen people of God. But somewhere along the way, they lost the heart of what they were going for. It became about rules. It became about what I don't do instead of what I do. It became about putting up walls and staying away from certain kinds of people rather than reaching out and bringing those in, which is exactly where this story picks up in Luke chapter 15. Jesus tells three very disruptive parables. Contrary to popular belief, a parable is not a simple story that's meant to clarify things for people. Parables are meant to confuse, especially when Jesus tells them. They're meant to disrupt. They're meant to cause a disturbance. And similarly, how I mentioned before, we don't want to get sick to become well, but sometimes that's what it takes. That's how Jesus speaks to people. He speaks in confusing words. He speaks in a tale, and he tells them a story they're familiar with, and they think it's going to go one direction, and then he flips it upside down and tells a completely opposite thing. And they all walk away scratching their head going, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept this? I don't get this. I don't understand it. And it makes us draw deeper. So this story is aimed at a group of people, this holiness group of people called the Nazarenes. I mean the Pharisees, all right? We've got to own a little bit of this this morning because we are a holiness people. So our story begins with the Pharisees and the Bible teachers murmuring about Jesus because he was eating with tax collectors and sinners. Or let me say it this way. He was eating with traitors to his country and he was eating with unceremonially clean, unclean people. So the holiness people were standing aside murmuring to each other that Jesus is eating with the wrong folks. That Jesus is staying in their homes. That Jesus is drinking with them. That Jesus is celebrating with them. And they don't like it. So let me tell you these three parables very quickly. And I'm going to tell you to them quickly in the way that they expected to hear them the way they were used to hearing them, and then I'm going to tell you the way Jesus said it. So in this parable, if they were expecting to hear it this way, they would have heard this. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep, loses one of them, and then leaves ninety-nine in the wilderness and goes after that one that is lost until he finds it? That makes no sense. 
If you have a hundred sheep and one wanders off, you don't leave 99 out in the field to get eaten by wolves or destroyed by bears or stolen by other shepherds. You don't leave them unprotected to go find one. It's just simply not worth it, so don't do it. So that's how they expected to hear the parable. That makes sense. You wouldn't do that. Well, Jesus says the right way that he says, which one of you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And he comes home and he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me. I have just found my, lost, my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Those 99 he's talking about are the Pharisees, the people who think they need no repentance. And then the second parable, we have the lost sheep and then we have the lost coin. And this is how they expected to hear it. A woman had 10 silver coins and she lost one. Well, it doesn't make sense to waste your time looking for one coin when you have nine others. So just move on. Go back to work. Earn another day's wages and use the money you have. Make it work for you. It doesn't make any sense to spend all your time that you could be using making more money to go find that one coin. It's just not worth it. That makes sense, right? You know, how many of us are going to lose a nickel under the dresser and tear the house apart for a day and a half to look for it? It was a little bit more than that, by the way. It's probably something like a day's wage. But that's how they expected to hear it. But Jesus tells it this way, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You see what I mean about it doesn't make a lot of sense? Who's going to find a coin and call your neighbors and have a party? You know? Hey, I found ten bucks. Let's call all the neighbors together and spend fifty. Have a party. Doesn't make a lot of sense. So people are walking away scratching their heads going, I don't know what this means. I don't quite understand this. And then Jesus tells this third parable to the Pharisees. And Jesus said there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of your property that will belong to me. Now, everyone knew in that time that the inheritance first went to the oldest son, not the youngest. And for this child to come to his father in this way is to say to the father, Father, I don't care about our family. I don't care about you. I wish you were dead. I want what's owed me, and I want it right now. I'm leaving, and I'll never see you again. I could care less. Well, as they would have heard this, they would have thought, well, if your son disrespects you this way, disown him. Kick him out. Don't give him a dime. He's done here. That's not the way Jesus tells the parable, though. It doesn't make sense. He tells this disturbing story. Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So the father divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country where he lived out the party lifestyle. He partied in the most exclusive clubs. He drank every bottle of alcohol, did every drug he could find, and spent a fortune on prostitutes. 
He squandered his property in self-indulgent, wild, pleasure-seeking. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country. And he began to be in need for the first time in his life. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. The ultimate insult to good Jews who wouldn't be caught dead near swine. He was so hungry that he would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough bread to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and he went to the father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him. See, his father was watching. His father was looking out. His father was missing his son. And he was filled with compassion. Literally, it says, to the point where his stomach churned. And he ran out and put his arms around his son and kissed him. Now at this point, the son has said nothing to the father. The father doesn't wait for the son. The father, literally in a very undignified manner, tucks his robe up in his belt, it says, and he ran in a very undignified manner of a landowner in that day. And before his son says a word, the father embraces him, holds him tightly. And then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He starts the speech that he had practiced. Anybody ever practice a speech before? You had to eat some crows, so you're getting it ready. Well, that's what the prodigal did in this story. He's practicing the speech, and he gets to the father, and it's like the father ignores every word he says. <laughs> the father says to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Get the fattest calf we have. Kill it. And let's eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead, but is now alive again. He was lost, but now is found. And they began to celebrate. They started a party. And that's usually where we end the story. We usually stop it right there and say, Isn't that great? God loves us so much. That son was slightly prodigal. He was slightly wasteful in, in one sense because he spent all of his money and he lived a very wasteful life. Oh, but this father is extremely prodigal. He's extremely wasteful with his love. He's extremely wasteful with his property, giving it for others, not for himself. And we usually stop at that point. But then there's this other part that Jesus is addressing to the Nazarene uh, Pharisees. Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. Nazarenes used to be against that, but anyway, let's go on. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. The servant replied, Your brother has returned, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he got him back safe and sound. Well, then the elder son, the unprodigal son, became angry, and he refused to go in. So once again, the father's looking for his children. The father's looking for his son. The father came out and began to plead with him. But the elder brother answered his father, Listen! 
For all these years, I've been working like a slave for you. I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him? Then the father said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. In a sense, he's saying, Son, all that is mine is yours. You've been here all along. It's not my fault that you have been so uptight that you've not partied with your friends. That's what he's saying with them. It's not my fault that you haven't brought a band in and killed a fatted calf and had a big celebration and had a party. You've been here all along. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and now has been found. This elder son, I have no doubt in my mind, was representative of the Pharisees. The unprodigal son. This holiness movement that separated themselves to be different from the world. And they were murmuring about Jesus because he was befriending, if we put it in a modern context, he was befriending Muslims and atheists and prostitutes and gay liberal activists and communists. He was staying with them in their homes. He was eating with them. He was drinking with them. He was celebrating with them. And the Pharisees murmured. On any given day, we can find ourselves in the position of any one of these characters in this story. We have the ability given by God to be incredibly extravagant with our grace, to be incredibly open-armed and incredibly welcoming to people who don't deserve it. But I'm afraid that more often than not in the church, and realize that I love the Church of the Nazarene. I've been in it literally since I was born. I don't think I ever missed a day of church growing up unless I was just deathly sick. I think there's so much good, but I've been around a lot of Nazarene places. I've been around a lot of different churches. I've been around a lot of people who are not even Nazarenes. And you don't have to be a Nazarene to qualify to be like the Pharisees in this story. I'm talking about the worst extreme here. The worst extreme. But often we are like the elder brother. The unprodigal who never broke a rule. He was stingy with money. He didn't associate with anyone who wasn't a good Christian or a good Jew. He didn't take time to consider where others were coming from. And like him, oftentimes we in the church can major on very minor things. We never break a house rule. We don't smoke, we don't cuss, we don't drink, we spend our money wisely, we save it for a rainy day, we keep it for ourselves. We'd never dream of hanging out at the local bar or with people who use God's name in vain. I guess that's well and good. Except Jesus never once tells us not to cuss, drink, or smoke. He doesn't ever tell us to cut ourselves off from the world. In fact, you know, he often got called a drunkard. So my point in bringing this out is just to say, sometimes we spend all of our time focusing on the things Jesus didn't say. And please understand that I'm saying 
There's merit in those things. There's merit in being pure. It's good for your health not to smoke. You don't sound like a fool if you don't walk around cussing all the time. But Jesus warns us against other things. We ignore things Jesus actually did say. The things Jesus actually did do. Loving each other. Forgiving people. Calling people together who were not like us. He warns us against being Pharisees. People who build walls up and keep the world far away because we don't want to get soiled by them. He warns us against resorting to violence. And we lose sight of our own sinfulness because we're so worried about the sinfulness of our younger brother. And I'd say in this story, the, prodigal, the unprodigal brother seems to be the one that's the most far from the father's heart. The one who never left. The people who never left the church. And thus is the problem. Jesus' teachings, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is so much deeper than, boy, I can't wait till I die so I can go to heaven. That's not what Jesus ever really talked about. Jesus always talked about the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. It begins now and will be lived out in eternity. And Jesus says that there's only certain people who get to be a part of this kingdom. And he's talking about the kingdom of God here on earth. He's described that there are only certain people who, who are among this group. It's not really when he's talking about this, he's not saying, well, these people are the ones that get into heaven when they die, and these are the people that go to hell. He's actually saying right here on earth as it is in heaven, so many of us Pharisees are missing the kingdom of God, are missing the present reality. Jesus says, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of God. Because children depend on their adults for food. Children, spiritually speaking, depend on their father. He says, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. He says, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Not impossible, just really hard. I tell you the truth, tax collectors, let me, let me translate that to modern times, traitors to their nation, and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you, holiness people. Ouch. That's tough when he says that to church people. The kingdom of God, he says, will be taken away from you and given to those who will produce its fruit. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. He talks about all these really earthy things and he gives his welcome and he goes out to those who need it and he finds them and he fellowships with them and he befriends them and he listens to them and he hears their point of view we've created this psychosis in the church that says you can miss out on heaven in the space of 18 inches from your head to your heart in doing that we have made salvation all about a feeling all about well if I feel good enough I guess I'm saved now 
We've turned being a Christian into nothing more than being a decision to ask Jesus to save us. Because you remember where Jesus said, go into all the world and make a decision. Jesus didn't say that. You see Jesus say, go into all the world, make disciples of every nation. People who not just make a decision to follow Christ, but people who do it. People who live Christianly. The decision to be a Christian, to ask Jesus into your heart, is only useful if it leads you to live like a Christian. Otherwise, it's worthless. Absolutely worthless. It means nothing that 30 years ago you said, I want Jesus to come into my heart, if you've not actively been living your life as a Christian. Well, Jesus calls everyone to accept His invitation to live out the Christian life. We're going to take communion this morning. I, I should say it this way. We're going to receive communion this morning. We're going to receive the Lord's meal. We get uncomfortable when we look in Scripture. I get uncomfortable when I see the kind of table fellowship that Jesus kept. And I get uncomfortable because I know I'm not keeping it as much as I should be. I stay home a lot. I try to wall off things. I try to keep my place as pure as I can. I I want that for my family. But I have to realize as I look at this disruptive parable and these disruptive stories of Jesus that I said will offend some, the invitation of Jesus is for all. It's for all of us to come to the meal. And it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, red and yellow, black and white, where you come from, everybody is on the same footing at this meal. And taking part in this meal, you are making a public declaration saying, Jesus, I accept your invitation to come and die. To live a Christian life, giving myself away for the needs of others. My money is yours. My time is yours. My family is yours. My car is yours. My job is yours. My eating habits are yours. The things I buy are yours. And everything I do reflects upon you because I am wanting to live out the kingdom of God here on earth just as it is in heaven, as Jesus teaches us to. So in order to do that, We have a bit of a theological problem because we fear everything. (laughs) We have this terrible thing in our culture that be scared of this, be scared of that, be scared of this certain people group, stay away from them. But Jesus calls us to go out to everyone. Here's a short list. Muslims, Mormons, Republicans, Democrats, homosexuals, terrorists, drug addicts, the liberal media, help us, the military, Policemen, firemen, department store workers who don't say Merry Christmas. The rich, the poor, the well-educated, the ignorant, and every other person on the planet. We're all invited to this table. But, if you come to this table, if you accept the invitation, you're giving up your identity to be anything but a follower of Christ. All those other things that we said identify you before, you know, we have to give up our rights. That's why, you know, we we fall into this madness every four years where this political season that we're in right now, and, and, you know, I hate it because 
the Republicans are wrong, the Democrats are wrong, everybody's wrong for this one reason. We're all concerned with our own rights. Jesus, to follow Him, He says, get rid of your rights. They're gone now. You're mine. And I call you to give yourself away for others. There is a threat to Christianity today. The threat is not Muslims. The threat is not Mormons. The threat is not homosexuals, terrorists, Democrats, Republicans, the liberal media, those people. The threat to Christianity is Christians who are so unlike Christ. The call to this table is to come and be changed. It's the call to accept the invitation of Jesus himself. The one who puts everybody on equal ground. The older brother and the younger brother. The Pharisees were invited too. Jesus spent a lot of table fellowship around with the Pharisees. And he says to us, look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. Isaiah 55 says, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. So I have to ask you this question this morning as we close out. It's a hard question to ask. It's a hard question for me to ask. But there seems to be one condition to this whole forgiveness thing. If we want to be forgiven by God, we have to be willing to forgive. It's the one thing that seems to disqualify us. It says in Scripture, Jesus says, For if you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, neither will your Father forgive you. That's the condition. What I'm doing for you, you have to do for others. That's the condition. So the question is, who in this place today would you not have a meal with? Who in your church family would you not have a meal with? If there's somebody that comes to mind, you need to think twice before accepting this meal. Jesus says if you think of you're at the altar and somebody has something against you, you get up from the altar, go make things right with them, and then you'll be accepted at this table. And not before. Those are hard words to hear. It's a hard teaching, but it's true, and it's the teachings of Jesus for us this morning. Who are you not willing to eat with in this church? Let's make it a little more broad. Who are you not willing to eat with in this community? Who are you not willing to eat with in this world? Because over a meal you have conversations. Everybody's on the same ground. This song we sang this morning, I want to read the words to you and then we're going to go to our communion time today. It says, I then shall live. It's my favorite hymn. It might just be the best hymn in the whole book. In my opinion. Gloria Gaither penned it right. I then shall live as one who's been forgiven. I'll walk with joy to know my debts are paid. I know my name is clear before my Father. I am His child and I'm not afraid. So greatly pardoned, I'll forgive my brother. Did you hear that part? So greatly pardoned, I'll forgive my brother. The law of love I gladly will obey. Well, you're saying, well, my brother doesn't deserve forgiveness. Well, it doesn't matter. Nobody does. I then shall live as one who's learned compassion. I've been so loved that I'll risk loving too. 
I know how fear builds walls instead of bridges. I dare to see another's point of view. And when relationships demand commitment, then I'll be there to care and follow through. Listen to this last verse. Your kingdom come around and through and in me. Your power and glory, let them shine through me. Your hallowed name, O may I bear with honor. And may your living kingdom come in me. The bread of life, may I share with others. May I share with honor. And may you feed a hungry world through me. Let's stand together this morning. It's a hard task. These are hard words to preach. I struggled with them for about three weeks. I wanted to preach something else, but I couldn't get away from this. We are welcome to this table, but we need to consider these questions today. Prayerfully, who would you not have a meal with? Let's begin with this room. Because if we have that kind of problem in the fellowship of believers, we have no chance bringing Christ to this world. Let's shut our eyes for a moment. Lord Jesus, as we prepare our hearts right now for this table, I'm praying even in the silence of this moment, if someone comes to our mind, Lord, I believe that's your prompting, saying maybe we need to go talk to them right now. We can come back to the table. The meal is not going away. The invitation is there eternally. But relationships need to be mended. I pray you'd speak to any heart in this room that needs to come to that realization. Give them the courage to step out, not just to come to this table, but to go to those other people. Help us, Lord. I don't know why you chose the church as your way in the world. It doesn't seem to make sense. These people you call are not the people I would call, but you call everybody. And you put us all on footing of equal ground. Open our hearts and our minds, Lord, this morning. As you welcome us to this table, Lord, we welcome you in again. Pray you'll help us to tear down walls and build bridges for the sake of Christ. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. You've been listening to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. If you'd like to know more about me, my ministry, my music, my life, go to my website at rickleejames.com. You can also download my free mobile app from iTunes and on the Android Marketplace. And I'd love this to be a community experience, so if you call 937-505-0162, you can leave feedback, you can give me suggestions for future shows, you can even record comments that I can play on the next podcast. So let's make this something really great together. 937-505-0162. Thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head, the official Rick Lee James podcast. God bless.